We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. I didn't see you there. <laughs> I'm Drew Gear, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder. That's our producer, Chris Krueger. And this definitely isn't, uh, the, well, I mean, this is the Rock Pile Report, but this definitely isn't me drinking cleaner out of a bottle. <laughs> I, I don't know how to cope with this, Chris. I told you last week we were going to lose. That's what I... Listen to last week. I said, I like the Bengals in this matchup. Bengals have our number. That's uh, what it turned out to be. <sighs> We're back in the hunt again. Do you know how long? Chris, do you know, like, I, I have to look at it. <sighs> 2017. 2017. What a time to be alive. Right? Think of, can you think back to how great of a year 2017 was? No. What was going on for you back in 2017? I think Reed had moved out. I was depressed. <laughs> okay, so maybe I things, lost my best friend. <laughs> maybe things sucked for you. My life was sweet. I got engaged. Ed, well... I don't know if this was sweet. Ed Sheeran was number one in the Billboard Hot 100. Like, this is how far back you have to go. I had just gotten engaged. Ed Sheeran was the number one artist on the Billboard Hot 100. Wood-framed sunglasses were the third most trending product in the entire world behind drones and gluten-free products. I actually had training camp credentials. That feels like a lifetime ago. 
It's when you were interviewing Kyle Williams. I don't know if having kids do this to you, like if time just seems like it slows down, but or if it like speeds up and you go, wait a minute, that that didn't feel like it was. It's this weird juxtaposition where you go, I don't feel that much older, and at the same time, I realize it's been almost six years. <laughs> it's been six years. Twenty seventeen is also the last time that the Bills were five and four. And yet, when I think back to how I felt during that 2017 season, it felt special. It felt like something. It was a ride, but it was fun. And when you think about the way the team found themselves there, the team was up against the salary cap with a new incoming GM and head coach. And yet, like, like they they couldn't spend freely, and yet on their own, of their own accord and volition, sent away name players. So we don't need a Sammy Watkins. We don't need Ron Darby. We don't need Marcel Darius. Sorry. We don't need you because we're building something else here that's going to be pretty cool. And people freaked out. And yet, ultimately, it Worked. I mean, they were a team that had no star power on offense whatsoever. Charles Clay was our leading receiver that year, Chris. I forgot he existed. Yeah, I, I wish I could have. I wish he had ceased to exist then. Like by 2018, that guy should have been gone. I'll never forget the video you have of me just exploding over him, not leaning forward to get a first down. Yeah, he catches the ball and then just immediately falls because he doesn't want to get hit, and it's like fourth and one now. You suck. Get out of here. That guy was our leading receiver. That's a mess. We had a mid-season lull of epic proportions. If you go to Pro Football Reference, which I'm about to do, Chris, how bad do you remember it being when that 2017 team hit its like collapse mid-season and everyone thought the sky was falling? That was at Saints, right? Where the guy ran naked down the field. Yeah, I remember going to work. Like the a, next, I remember going to work the next day. Yeah. First of all, we left at halftime. I was like, "Listen, I'm not doing this. If I'm going to suffer like this, we're going to do. We're going to go get Duff's, and we're going to Duff's wings. We're going to go get a bucket of them, and we're going to take them back to my basement. And we're going to drink our faces off, and we're going to suffer like men in the privacy of your own. There we go." Okay, so blow this up. Scroll down. Okay, so you you go into this and you say to yourself, we lost to the Jets. And I feel like I remember that game being like, it was surprising that we lost them the way that we did. And then you go into that game against the Saints and the Saints just had your number from start to finish. So the final score is 47 to 10. And then you make the inexplicable decision. You create a quarterback controversy in the middle of the 2017 season. Sean McDermott benches Tyrod Taylor, puts in Nathan Peterman. How did that game go? I see you're pulling it up here right now. 54 to 24. 54-24, but scroll down because this is the funniest part. They had to put Tyrod Taylor back in. (laughs) Tyrod Taylor scored a touchdown at the end of the game rushing. LaShawn McCoy caught a 12-yard touchdown pass from Tyrod Taylor. 
And it was 37-7 to at halftime. You scored points in the second half, mostly because they were just trying to run out the clock and you had something to prove, but at least you didn't throw it to the other team again. Somehow that 2017 team survived that, right? And they survived this quarterback controversy. They reinstate Tyrod the following week. And then just eke out nail biters. Chris, if you back out of this page and you look at the scores of the games that they have for the rest of the season after that game, the Nathan Peterman game, you have a win in Kansas City, but then a blowout loss to the Patriots. I remember leaving that game because the guy, the drunken Patriots fan next to me kind of turns his head and goes, you know why you guys can't beat us? It's because your quarterback is a dumb insert racial expletive here. And I just stood up and was like, well, I have to leave. I have to leave right now because the consequences of me staying, I'm going to fight this guy by the time the game's over. And I didn't miss much except for that was the Gronk game. You remember that? The The, Gronk diving elbow? Yeah, the Macho Man elbow. But look at this. Look at the final scores for the rest of the season. Like, you won that tight Blizzard game against the Colts. There was a one-score game or, you know, I guess a two-score game, but it was eight points against the Dolphins. That'd be a one-score game. That's how math works. The Dolphins again, 22-16 later on, just two weeks later. Like, these were the things. All of these things broke right. And at the same time, you were doing it with a bunch of nobodies on defense. I mean, Eddie Yarbrough, I remember interviewing him at training camp that year. He was a starting defensive end. Nice guy. Never belonged in a starting role and never had one afterwards in the NFL. And we had almost no production on offense. At least not passing the ball. And yet that football team fell ass backwards into a playoff berth. And it was one of the greatest nights of our entire lives. I fell through a wall. Reed came to our New Year's Eve party. I hugged you a bunch and you got really uncomfortable. I left. I went and Ubered. You were like, oh, I watched you cry and it made me very uncomfortable. We all have really fond memories of that 2017 team. Mostly because our expectations were so incredibly low. It's weird we're in the same place again, and yet we're here in one of the ugliest fashions imaginable. The the airwaves from podcasts to local radio here in Buffalo to national radio, everything's been filled with justification and blame being thrown around. You've already heard and seen all the film analysis from these other content creators out there, so I'm not going to bore you to death with this. I just want to pose a few questions to you, and I want to give some food for thought. The first being, how the hell did we get to this place? Now, I didn't do stats of the game this week, Chris. Instead, what I did was I sent you two graphics. You sent me screenshots of tweets. Sure. Which are not graphics. The first one. Consistency, consistency, it doesn't matter, at moving the sticks. According to Ben B. Baldwin, computer cowboy on Twitter, who puts out all these fancy quarterback charts and offensive charts and whatever, Buffalo's offense feels unimpressive when watching them. And at the same time, Chris, we're third in the NFL in terms of drives that end in either a touchdown or a first down. We're third in the NFL. 
But do you know who's ahead of us? No. The, the Dolphins and the 49ers. Two teams who are also kind of in their own mix for having an identity crisis and some struggling. And that brings me to a tweet from Brett Coleman, who says, doing, doing research on how it's possible for the Bills to be so high in EPA, but so low in scoring drive percentage. And I found an interesting little connection for the struggling teams. They aren't stalling out in field goal range. Either they get touchdowns or they get nothing. The three teams at the bottom of the NFL for production when it comes to overall offense per drive. Miami, 49ers, Buffalo. Is it any shock that all of our teams are on losing streaks when you're faced with that kind of information, Chris? Yeah, it is weird. I don't think it's weird. I think it tells a story, right? Just like most things do. So as we try to figure out how the hell we got to this place from being the team that we all that we all saw with our own two eyes against the Miami Dolphins, it's interesting to take a look at some of what's going on and that how this game is a microcosm of it. First of all, I said this game was an acid test last week. This team failed. They failed. Across the board, all three phases, you failed. One of the problems they have is names and talent are outweighing play and execution. Von Miller being on the field in a must-win, like a must-have situation at the end of the game is an embarrassment for the coaching staff. You look around the roster and you can find defensive... Kingsley Jonathan has done a good job for the Buffalo Bills this year when his number's been called. He's been pretty solid against the run. He's actually provided a little bit of pass rush help when it's called upon. And yet, you know, the Jacksonville game, he was a key contributor to us keeping that game close against another well-coached, high-powered offense that had a lot of wide receiver talent. Instead, you took a player returning from serious injury who's shown zero signs of being up to speed, and you put him on the field in your most critical moment, and he fell on his face in front of everybody. Now, it didn't, that one decision didn't cost you the game, but you can understand, Chris, how I might question your judgment having seen that. Am I, am I crazy for doing that? No. Okay, how about the play of our aging safety tandem that we've decided that we need to keep paying double-digit salaries to apropos of nothing? Apropos of nothing. There are teams around the NFL who pay less for their safety room than ours who get, I think, in situations like this a lot more. When you look at what the Bengals did to our safeties, targeting them in coverage is one of the safest plays. Combined, they had eight targets for seven receptions allowed in 109 total yards. Hyde allowed 41 yards after the catch. They had six first downs allowed on seven receptions, which means their coverage isn't tight. They're staying back, doing the Tampa 2 thing, and letting someone catch the ball right in front of their face. And each of them was responsible for a coverage touchdown. What are we doing with these aged players? Their names more so than they are production. 
And don't get, don't even get me started about the offense. Gabe Davis gets zero targets. But you've decided not to go get a number two wide receiver because he was your guy. That was supposed to be the guy. I didn't need to upgrade that position. I didn't need a real X wide receiver because, well, I had I Gabe. thought that's why we have Dalton Kincaid. I thought he was supposed to be a number two. Don't look him at him as a tight end. That's only by label. He plays like a wide receiver. And he finally did. But he's also a rookie. Who made a rookie mistake in a critical moment that probably cost us the game. That's it. But that's what you get when you're like, hey, I have this guy over here. Nah, I don't need it. I'll call a play. I'll call a shot play to Deontay Hardy. You know who needs to be running post routes for me? Deontay Hardy. Yes, let's take a short guy and put him up against taller safeties because he's fast. I'm sure this will work. I don't know. Maybe the six foot four guy who's also fast, but they go, oh no, they'll see that coming. We're smarter than everybody else. This team has spent so much money, right? Josh Allen. I'm going to expand on this. But seeing wide open wide receivers with yards after the catch in front of him, and he, like, he just, apparently he has blinders onto this. This is not the quarterback that you paid millions and millions of dollars to. Hardy, Davis, Allen. This team has spent a lot of money on names and projections, and they're eschewing younger players at the expense of NFL veterans who haven't made an impact. And in big moments, so many of these veterans are just empty shirts. And it's it's offensive to me. Like, but is it, how, how much is it, of it is their fault? Right? Like, it's easy to get mad at Tyrell Dodson for blowing a run fit in the red zone. Or for Tim Settle for looking out of place or looking like he can't anchor against a starting center or guard. But they wouldn't be the players in those positions if the team had, I don't know, Maybe spend some money on building better quality around the roster instead of sinking money or wasting it in so many areas that, I don't know, they just right now aren't making a difference. You brought in, uh, what's his face, from the Dolphins? Who's that wide receiver? Trent Sherfield. Fuck, fuck him. Okay? I'm sorry, that's mean. I shouldn't say that. But at the same time, I've... I've what are you here for, then? You have no role. I was like, oh, here's a slot receiver who can catch, who has some speed, and also can run block. Awesome. They could do a lot of creative things with them. It doesn't matter. They're not doing them. They refuse to do the creative things with the tools that they've purchased. Chris, your famous cookie analogy. I mean, look at this. Hardy, 13 receptions on the season, and he's 29th in punt return yards. Two spots behind Isaiah McKenzie. You got rid of Isaiah McKenzie and paid more money for Deontay Hardy. And he's worse in punt return, at least in the aggregate. You can, I mean, maybe if there weren't so many special teams flags in the Tampa game, maybe that's different. But it's not. We don't live in that world. So you paid three times as much money for a guy to replace McKenzie, who is equally useless on offense, and also just doesn't do well in punt returns. 
You asked him settle to take a pay cut instead of just cutting him outright and saving his salary. You needed to keep him so badly that you let Eli Anku leave the roster. And then scrambled to get Eli Anku back when you found out that Tim Settle is actually one of the worst run defenders at defensive tackle in the NFL. I joked a few weeks ago that Knox's injury might be good for the Buffalo Bills, and I felt bad doing it. Look at look at Dalton Kincaid! When's the last time the Bills have had a tight end that looks like that? Never. If it weren't for the Dawson Knox injury, we wouldn't even know about this. We wouldn't be seeing it. Because the team was content with the guy that they paid. We're paying him $6.4 million against the cap this year. So, of course, they're going to give him every opportunity. Because you're trying to make your poor investment seem like a smart one. Our roster is lacking in depth at so many positions that we couldn't afford to pay. And you're looking at it now going, well, the, the positions, the guys that we did pay, they're just out here. They exist, but they're not contributing on a consistent basis. So what are you doing here? Backup linebacker. You couldn't go get me one of those for $2 million. Like a real tenured NFL linebacker. A David Long who's currently thriving for the Miami Dolphins. You couldn't get me one of those. Instead, we now have to do this weird dance where we pretend that Dorian Williams isn't just Tyrell Dodson, who you're not paying as much. Like, I... Like, if you, like, all of these things are consequences that this franchise made. Like, these are consequences of the decisions that you've, you've chosen. And I can't, you're you're seeing the fallout of it. They got cute in a lot of places, spent a lot of money they shouldn't have. There's, but, but is that their fault, Chris, if they're not being organized properly? No. Okay. Every week we watch them regress and regress and regress but realistically all a football team is is like it's the sum of all of its parts that's what a team is any team doesn't matter where you work what industry or what segment of business or what sport you're playing a team is the sum of all of the talent of its parts and it requires orchestration and so with that i have to turn an eye to the coaching staff and that's where this entire podcast kind of kicks off here I've said this before that, like, in a car crash. And, and call Salino? <clears throat> call Salino. Call Mark Smith. <laughs> Do you see a day where Mark Smith just quits his gig right now? His cushy, I don't really do much. I get to play chess during the week, and I'm, I'm, I'm the most active person in a softball group chat. Uh, he gets to quit that and just go actually be, like, a hardcore trial attorney for things like God. Uh, like he's an ambulance chaser. Yeah. Could you see like a, 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 a what would he call him? A uh, billboard with yeah. Mark's face on it. Do you want to pull some money together and do that? I think we should. I think we should get Mark against his will. Get Mark a billboard. <laughs> we'll have to pay for the billboard and I'm not doing the graphics for it. We'll have to use Aaron Quinn. So uh, he did just open a graphic design company. Yeah, I think he should, I, he's probably looking for some publicity. This could be a good one. Put it right on the right on his favorite stretch of the city. We'll put it. We'll get the billboard that you can see from the Skyway. 
No, Since no, that's no. his favorite part of the city. No, 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 no. If you're if you're gonna have an ad for Mark Smith doing law shit, you got to put it on the thirty three <laughs> by, by Griner. Free by Griner. I love it. So, any good assur- insurance adjuster will show up and try to assign blame and talk about percentage of like, hey, we're, we're actually responsible for this. In a week where a quarterback who literally just signed with his team in Josh Dobbs not only led more scoring drives than Josh Allen, but also led his team to a dramatic comeback victory against a statistically similar defense to what the Bills just faced, there's a conversation to be at here. Whose fault is it that these things that we have, these niceties, these things that we've paid for and bought and we thought that we grew and developed, why does everything suck? Let's talk about it. Because it, it's really easy to keep blaming the players. But maybe it's just been the amount of distance and time between 2017 and today. I have not seen a team look this impotent in a long time. Who is the last coach who sounded the way McDermott sounds today? Like, who's the last one? Malarkey. Okay. Mike Malarkey. Or Greg Williams. That's the sort of company we're talking about here. When you talk about the way they present themselves publicly, the execution on the football field. Like, a team this disorganized and this far removed from its roots and what it should be. Like, back then in 2017, it was acceptable because they didn't have any talent. Now they have it, and yet they still are a lot like that 2017 team in a lot of regards. So as we start to try to dissect whose fault this is, let's start at the quarterback position. You've got Josh Allen. He's a quarterback who's missing open wide receivers in pursuit of plays. The types of throws he's been routinely making since 2020. Inexplicable turnovers that are primarily just bad decisions or just a lack of communication with players who didn't just get here yesterday. Guys like Gabe Davis, who have been on the roster for three or more years. Poor decisions under pressure, right? Like, it almost feels like defenses have figured Josh Allen out and no one's working to help him learn a curveball. There's a play against the Bengals where Pratt, the linebacker for the Bengals, comes off of Kincaid and immediately takes the underneath route away. Kincaid is wide open, 20 yards downfield with room to run afterwards. Something that the Bengals see on film when they're doing their game prep says, we know for a fact you can cheat off that tight end because Josh won't throw that ball. And it works. They shut the play down. We end up punting on that drive. There's just no magic to the way that we are playing offense anymore. The flash plays, this what used to look like mastery of the quarterback position. The guy, Chris, think back to the New England game on Thursday Night Football a few years ago. The guy rolling to the sideline, buying time with his legs, and then finding Gabe Davis as he's falling out of bounds. That's gone. That guy... You might as well have swapped out a fraud into... Like, people make jokes about the DeMar Hamlin clone thing. You might as well have cloned Josh Allen with Chris's athleticism and put him under center. That's what I'm looking at when I watch these plays. 
I don't know what you've become anymore. You're a shell of what you were. Is that really his fault, though? It's hard to it's it's hard to tell. When I hear him come to the microphone and say, in almost like one of the most defeated tones of voice I've heard from a guy who I'm I'm getting unfortunately pretty used to hearing sound defeated. We're running the plays that are called. Does that quote sound like a ringing vote of confidence for a play caller or a coordinator or a coach? No. 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 Kyler Murray is coming back from an ACL tear this week. He's going to start for the Arizona Cardinals. Their coaches and GM are saying that they absolutely expect him to be using his legs and to be every bit as mobile as he used to be because they know what a huge part of his game that is. Meanwhile, we have a staff that has literally tried to grind that part of our quarterback out like a stale cigarette. EPA, efficiency, I tweet at Rockpile Report on Twitter. You can go see the meme that I took time out of my friggin' day to make. It's Peter Griffin holding Meg's face into his ass as he farts. And I'm like, this is what the NFL analytics community is doing to us Bills fans who take a look at the offense and go, it's terrible. And they go, yeah, but EPA. Oh, look at the efficiency metrics. That's it. That's us. We're mouth open. Just taking it from these people. All of the fancy numbers will tell you that he's doing fine. Does this look like the face of a guy who is doing fine? Does this guy look for those of you watching on YouTube? Is this the face of a man who is fine? It is not. In fact, I know that face. It's the way I used to look whenever my ex would drink too much because of her social anxiety. And then either make an ass out of herself or start bringing up all of our previous breakups and wanting to dissect the why. How come this happened? How come this happened? Well, do you know why I dumped you that time? And that's the face. It's the face of if I had just the... Like, that's the face where right there... In that moment, in that press conference, Chris, the only thing going through my head is, dear sweet Lord in heaven, if you could please have just snuck the rocket pack from the movie The Rocketeer under my chair, I don't give a shit about this ceiling, these people, whatever. I'm going to light this thing up, and I'm, I want to be as far away from this conversation as humanly possible. That is the face of a man who wants to be anywhere else but behind a microphone talking about another failure and another poorly orchestrated effort where everything was broken and yet he felt like they had a chance and he gave everything he had. It just didn't matter. Do you remember the smugness that Josh was joking around with a few weeks ago about all the Pro Bowl play callers and quarterbacks in the stands a few weeks ago? Yeah. I miss that fucking guy now. I wish we could get that back because like, for as much as I didn't like that, this iteration of our star quarterback is much more pathetic. And that makes me feel terrible about what our odds are for the rest of the season. He looks broken. The structure looks broken. So that brings me to Ken Dorsey. 
This statistical outlier, Chris, that I talked about at the top of the show, the Brett Coleman tweet, like, even for the people who are out there saying, well, don't blame the coordinator, as, as small as that crowd might have gotten, how do you not blame the coordinator when you're at the bottom of the league in terms of drives that end in mid-range points, kicking field goals, just get... If you don't score a touchdown, you score zero points. They don't get into field goal range anymore. Yeah, see the Bucks game. All of these teams at the bottom of this graphic, losses piling up after hot starts, off you know, once creative looking offenses that have now just gone stale. But you know what they don't have in common between the Dolphins, the 49ers, and the Bills? One of their quarterbacks, only one, was a former MVP candidate. Just one. You can point to all the fine metrics and the fancy numbers. Here's what I hear and see. In a game that you knew that you required points to win, you threw the ball 15 times in the first half. Your efficiency numbers are a great story. But for being a... uh, When we were at our most successful, we were a vertical passing attack. When we were at our most dangerous, we were pressing teams inside that 10 to 20-yard window. It was 11 yards, 14 yards, 15 yards in a deep cross. You thrived in that area of the field, and that's what made our offense dangerous. You came out against the Bengals and somehow 13 of your Josh Allen's 26 completions, which is 50% for those of you at home who, like me, have had a lot of beers and can't do math. Half of them were thrown at the line of scrimmage or less than five yards downfield. Chris, you've intentionally neutered one of the most, like, you drafted Allen for his arm, not his accuracy and ability to distribute the ball. That was a Baker Mayfield trait, right? Yeah. Oh, man, his his short area accuracy and his feel for the windows. And, uh, that's why you drafted Baker Mayfield. Do you know why you drafted Josh Allen? Is because I can throw a fuck you ball 15 yards downfield on a rope to into a window that's so tight, no one can cover that. That's why you drafted Josh Allen. This staff has forgotten that. And instead, what we're doing is we're playing something they just keep calling, quote-unquote, complementary offense. Dorsey was asked a very, I think it was probably the most pointed question of the entire 25-minute post-game presser he did the other night. I believe it was Adam Benini. I think he works for uh, Channel 2. Yeah, that seems right. WGRZ. Asked him a question about whether he feels like the players believe that he is the guy qualified to turn this all around. And this was his answer. I think that they've got a lot of faith in in who we are and what we're about. I think, you know, we've got a mentally tough group. Um, We've got a a group of guys that have have been through things together and, um, you know, and and we've been through some ups and downs and and we've been through the, some good and bad. So um, I I think we're a group that, uh, uh, you know, is, is able to, come together with uh, with one common goal and that's that's when a football game how whatever it takes um, you know in each game you got to focus on that game you know you can't uh, um, and that's all that's all you can do you got to control what you can control 
And, uh, you know, I, I, I think that uh, we got a, a, a group that uh, I got a lot of respect for and uh, a lot of love for. Um, I love these guys. That wasn't the question. That wasn't the question, Ken. I don't care whether you love them or not. All of this word salad that you just threw at us doesn't matter. Are you the guy to turn this around? And here's what I don't hear. Leaders. You've heard it from Josh Allen. When Josh Allen has a bad game, do you know what most of his press conference is spent doing afterwards? Blaming himself. He's talking about I. It's always about I. Because I am the guy. I am the leader. I'm the person that people are looking to to make a difference here. And I understand the gravity that that gives me in my position. I'm the I, man. I'm, I'm, I'm the man who can throw the ball faster than fuck. <laughs> this is the, it's the Kenny Powers thing, but it's real. It's the idea, right, that you, you know, this isn't going to do it. This isn't going to cut it. I need something. Are you going back to the, the gasoline or what? Gasoline! Or whatever, the cleaner? I mean, you could. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Just get a whiff of it. She's a stiff one. I like whatever the vintage is on this. I like it. <laughs> now, here's what I know. When you lead anything, your answer should always be I. I, because I'm the guy. I'm the leader. When they say, hey, it's, it's almost like that scene in Ghostbusters when he's just like, hey, the next time somebody asks you if you're a god, you say yes. The next time someone asks you if someone trusts you to be a leader, you say yes and you talk about I. I am the guy who has the plan that's going to get us out of this. And I think that my players trust me to do that because I am the leader. I don't hear any of that from Ken Dorsey. What I hear is a lot of weird dancing around the question and all oh, these guys, they've been through a lot. They... You don't ever say they in a quarter in a question where someone's asking if you have control of a situation. 
You're laying it off on another group of human beings. If you're in charge, then you use the word I and you talk about it in those terms because you feel it in those terms because that's what you mean. I am in charge. I am the leader here. This is what matters and I know that I'm in control of it. <sighs> this guy drives me insane. and But, but he learned from the best, Chris. He has learned from the best, and that's Sean McDermott. You talk about speaking points. He's jumped the shark at this point. He created the buzzword complimentary football, which someone called him out on the fact that uh, Dorsey, well, first of all, it started out as complimentary football, and then he kept talking about rhythm. Dorothy, Dorothy, at this point, I'm just going to call him Dorothy. Dorothy got called to the carpet over the fact that he kept using the term rhythm and someone was like what do you mean what is the or definition of rhythm i want to hear you say it and he didn't have a good answer he just didn't have one of course he didn't because it has no meaning it's a buzzword that they created as a shield i look at this and i look at sean mcdermott i go well first of all i go where did dorsey learn that from then i look at it and i go well they're beating up dorsey over this because they know that they can't Chris, they can't talk to Sean McDermott that way. No. <laughs> That's not a thing they can get away with. When you look at what's gone on over the last few weeks with this coach, his milquetoast press conference mannerisms are falling apart. He's lost his touch. It used to be that he was milk toast because he needed to be that way so that he could be fiery behind the scenes and he could have his rah-rah moments with the team. You know, The boys are fired up, but I'm not giving the media anything. Now, he's falling apart in that regard, and it's kind of belying some really disappointing things. I mean, think about the way the summer started. He shows up at training camp and lets it slip that he's very concerned about Stefan Diggs, which is the fuel to all of this nonsense we dealt with all summer long, all the narratives about Stefan Diggs, his effort, his energy towards the franchise. Like, I don't know. Maybe that was necessary in retrospect to where I'm sitting here today. Maybe we needed to be having those conversations about why Stefan Diggs was so pissed off at the end of the season, why he was yelling at Stefan, why he was yelling at uh, Josh Allen, telling him not to listen to Ken Dorsey, why he showed up on his first day here in Buffalo and whatever meeting he had with management and the coaching staff was so contentious, he got sent home for the day. Maybe we should have been paying attention to that. Instead, we were like, well, wide receivers, he's doing what he's doing, but at least he's here and he's going to play hard and that's who he is and blah, 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 blah. Maybe we should have given more weight to the fact that he was pissed off with literally everybody back there to the point that they sent him home. Because I'll tell you what, Chris, how do you feel today? Would you be pissed off enough to get sent home if you had to go talk to Sean McDermott and Ken Dorsey today? I mean, I have to do a podcast with you, and I've been doing it for eight years, so of course I'm pissed off every time you come over here. <laughs> Would you like to send me home today? Yeah. Exactly. The the smugness, you know, that I was just talking about Josh Allen having and that McDermott had when they were starting to struggle, when this slide of theirs kind of started here this season. Now it's been replaced with almost a preemptive air of defeat. Neither one of them know what to say. McDermott was asked some pretty pointed questions about the future of Ken Dorsey, 
about whether he felt like he was being too spread too thin. The media is really starting to lay into these guys in a way that they never used to. And it's because, as like sharks, they smell blood in the water. Chris, this is what McDermott had to say on Tuesday about their lack of pace on the offensive side of the ball. You know, basically, the long and short of it is wanted to get to some other some other styles of play um, as opposed to um, you know the, the quicker upper temper upper tempo no huddle or version of no huddle. So um, you know, just some things that <clears throat> we can look at and, and examine as we move forward. Really, Jay, more than anything. Other styles of offense? Oh, you mean the ones where you punt a lot? You just wanted to get to more of that. Rather than the thing that is proven over the course of the season that it it works. Like, one of the craziest things is this idea that the Bills run a lot of option routes. They run them apropos of nothing. We never used to be that type of offense. Dable just called a spot, had a bunch of guys lined up for a play. They'd run it, and he would find an... Josh Allen would find an open guy somewhere out there. Now Josh Allen has to not only think about where his wide receivers are going, but his wide receivers have to think about where they're going. And now they're moving slower. All of this is happening. And it's happening underneath Sean McDermott's watch. And so when I hear him say, you know, when they go no huddle or when they go sugar huddle and when they do up-tempo offense, there's no time for thought. It's just, hey, here's the play, go to a spot, bang, 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 next play. Okay, that incompletion, doesn't matter. Fine, you run to a spot, here's where you need to be, bang. Here's the play call, and we go. There's no time for thought. When you, and they, they thrive in that environment. When you watch the times they've bogged down, it's because they're allowing this option-heavy inexplicable run call heavy offense ruin the flow of whatever they're trying to do. Sean McDermott has the gall to not only say, well, we tried to get to some other things than, you know, the one thing that we've thrived on this season. So that doesn't make a lick of sense. Even if I could talk myself into believing that that was true, I have questions if he actually believes that, given that this was his response in the immediacy of the loss on Sunday night. Yeah, I don't have a, a a good answer for you right now. I've got to look into that. Um, but I know what you mean. I saw it at the end as well, and we moved the ball. So He got asked that same question, why he got away from up-tempo, and he goes, I, I don't know. But now all of a sudden, come Tuesday, he's got all the answers, and no, 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 it, guys, it was a concerted effort because we just wanted to do some different things. The damn you did! Chris, I, I, I borderline on calling him a liar. Like, I borderline on referring to him as a liar. I, I don't know what else to do at this point. Given his track record, like, I don't understand how we reached this place where he, like, he doesn't know in the immediacy of a game why we stopped doing the thing that gives us success. But now you know that it's a reason or whatever the hell you're talking about, like, you don't understand. It makes you sound like a guy who doesn't understand NFL success, but that's garbage because I see your track record. You used to be successful. You've suddenly forgotten how to win. You and your entire staff have suddenly forgotten what it takes to win a football game. This is crazy to me. I think that he's backed himself into a corner with this roster, with this staff, and potentially he's out of he's out of answers. But don't worry, guys, he has a ringing endorsement for Ken Dorsey.
Well, I get it. I, I understand everyone's frustration. Um, I, I absolutely do. And, and um, you know, we, we're working extremely hard to, uh, to make the adjustments we have to make. And, and Ken is, is doing the same. So um, I remain confident in Ken and our offensive staff. And we continue to work hard at improving um, and getting the results we're all looking for. There's no improving here, Sean. There's no improving. We're backsliding. And it's, it's ugly and unnecessary. And this is where I get to the portion where I did something I haven't done in years, Chris. Oh, I, I had heard about... I was going to bed at like 2.15 in the morning because Monday nights, I'm overnight at work. So Sunday night, preparing that body for overnights, and I'm up into Monday morning, 2.15, and I... I was watching TV out in the basement, and my phone was in the podcast studio. I came, and I grabbed my phone, and I see in her group chat, oh, I'm tagged. Oh, God, Drew called into the radio. (laughs) So (laughs) instead of going to bed, you know what was cool is I went, and then I saw that Nate tweeted about it. (laughs) So I went to the tweet, went to the audio vault on GR, and I found it in about two minutes. Yeah. Based on the time of the tweet, the length of Nate's program, I'm like, I bet it's around here. And you had just gotten off the call, and I just had to rewind it a couple seconds. And I would, my first, this is what I want to know. Now, here's a question. You no, no, don't, well, you no, don't. no. This is what I want to know. This is because I, as the producer of this podcast, my only question to you is what did you say to the phone screener? So it's funny. He goes, WGR, what do you want to talk about? I told him, here's what you need to know. (laughs) Now, that's always a good way to start a conversation with a phone screener. Here's what you need to know, pal. You put me on the board as Drew from West Seneca and then just put down 12 personnel. Nate was right. (laughs) Just put that in the box. See, based on based on the call, I pictured you called the radio station and you went Drew Rockpile Report. <laughs> Sean McDermott is John Fox. No. So here was Put the best through. No, but this is the best part. I told the screener I go almost like it was code because again, it was quarter to one in the morning when I made this phone call. Yeah. In fact, it was twelve forty nine AM when I dialed the phone. And mind you, the reason that I did this is because I'm driving home from my buddy Doug's house where he just looked at me and he was like, well, we can't go to bed after that game. So instead, we watched Shane Gillis's uh, Beautiful Dog stand-up. And it was hilarious. There we go. I laughed. I belly laughed. I ate a barbecue beef sandwich that I had made. I, uh, yeah, dude, smoked chuck roast. (sighs) Poor man's brisket. Little Q42 bar. Little Q42 uh, brisket rub on that bad boy. Woo! I'll tell you what. That's some good eating right there, especially at uh, midnight while you're sitting in the dark with another fat guy just watching comedy specials. But I'll tell you what, it was hilarious, and it was just what the doctor ordered. So now I'm on my way home. I feel a little bit better. I decided I'm going to turn on WGR just to hear how Nate's doing. And I get to hear him just inundated with the worst callers. I listen to a guy call into Nate's show and try to tell him that Josh Allen's the problem because he doesn't take this seriously enough, and he's gotten to Hollywood. I also heard a guy call and invoke the name Josh McDaniel. 
basically saying that at the bye week we should fire Ken Dorsey and bring in Josh McDaniel to run the offense for the rest of the season. I can't, I can't leave Nate in the trenches taking grenades like that. So instead I do what I used to do for John uh, Murphy. It's like, look, I'm not an idiot. I know how this game works. I'm going to, well, I mean, I am an idiot, but I'm going to call in and I'm going to give you a thought. I'm not going to call in and ask you a fucking pedantic question as if I think it's impactful. Instead, I'm going to I'm going to ask a very open ended question. I'm going to let you and your co-hosts or producers who whoever else is second mic with you chew on this for as much clock as you need to not have to take another one of these garbage callers because I'm an idiot. But at least I know that. So I called up the screener answers the phone and I go, listen. You're going to put me on as Drew from West Seneca. You're going to put 12 personnel. Nate was right. He'll know what that means. When I say he, he'll know what that means, he bursts out laughing and goes, like, okay, weirdo. And then I text Nate and I go, 12P on hold. And he just texts me, God damn it. And when he picks up the call, Chris, did you hear it? He goes, I'm probably going to regret this. Yes. Here's Drew from West Seneca. What's going on? And I asked the question, are we John Foxed with Sean McDermott? Now, I, I, had, I knew I had a very small window of time. I'm not the idiot caller that just goes on a tangent and takes up too much airtime because that takes away from the host's ability to talk about it, which defeats the purpose of you calling. I asked the question, I put it in a vacuum and said, you need to tell me, are we John Foxed right now? For those of you who don't know what that means, I'll posit it like this. John Fox, experienced, tenured, former Carolina Panther, defensive-minded head coach, saddled with a powerhouse offense in terms of potential, hired by Denver to give them a defense that could bring balance and performance to a team that had an aging Peyton Manning at the helm of the offense. But they were a young football team loaded with star talent. He took the team to the 2023-2014 Super Bowl on the back of strong defense and an MVP quarterback performance. He broke the league record for touchdown passes that season with 50. Didn't Tom Brady break it the next year with 51? Something like that. And then goes to the Super Bowl and just gets boat raced in a ridiculously lopsided loss. The Seahawks that year came in and it was it was like our Bengals game on steroids. I threw a Super Bowl party in my 650 foot apart, square foot apartment that year for the Super Bowl. We were all playing beer pong in the kitchen, crowded in there. No one was paying attention to the second half of that game. And then I think uh did Chris didn't a random fan like bum rush the the stage with the MVP? Maybe. Like, post-game, he was giving an interview, and some guy just, like, ran up and tried to grab the microphone. And was like, what the hell's happening here? I, these are just my Super Bowl memories. In any event, they move away from that, right? The shine comes off everything. Every single thing that made that team special fails miserably, and they're just sunk. Here comes the next season, 2014-2015. They, they win 12 games. Losing the divisional round, though. In a game where they had scored on their first drive inside of nine minutes and then proceeded to, over the next 51 minutes, kick a pair of field goals. 
Never had a lead. Never The game was never close again. The franchise fired John Fox after that 12-win season and that just pathetic showing in the postseason because they saw Manning's window was closing and realized that John Fox's 3-4 and four record in the playoffs and his belly flops in these games that mattered most just couldn't be tolerated anymore. Not if they were going to achieve the thing that they needed to while their window was closing. Denver then went and turned to former offensive coordinator and head coach Gary Kubiak, who was with Houston for what, like eight years, I want to say? Chris, if you can give that a goog. What do you want me to goog? Gary Kubiak, pro football reference. What was his like career as a coach? I want to say he spent eight years with Houston. Offensive coordinator, he gets fired from Houston. They snap him right up. They're just like, well, we'll take you. And then immediately win a Super Bowl on a back of what was still a really potent defense. But an offense that, while Pete Manning was very clearly finished in terms of his arm strength, his ability to marshal a game the way that he used to in his prime. Fired during his eighth season. Okay. From Houston. What year was he hired? So what year did he o- get fired? 06, when he was hired. Fired in 13. Okay. And what year was he hired by? Uh... 15. Okay. So he took a hiatus and came back. Baltimore Ravens. Yep. Oh, he was, he was offensive coordinator? Yeah, in 14. And then he went to Denver. Yep. So he shows up in Denver, takes this team that has fallen on its face offensively with a worse quarterback, the worst version of Peyton Manning that's ever existed, wins a Super Bowl. Because that team knew how to capitalize on its strengths on offense Regardless of the matchup, they would find a way to make their offense potent. Like When you look back at that and you go back to that team, when you say, oh, well, the rushing attack, you know, Peyton Manning's arm was gone. He was throwing a lot of interceptions. In fact, I think they were one of the worst teams interceptions in the league that year. They were still a middle-of-the-pack scoring offense. Why? Because Gary Kubiak was very good at what he did. And... They made a run. I just had to do won the Super Bowl. I just had to do a, a double check that I was in the right season, 2015 Broncos, and I scrolled down to Peyton Manning's uh, stat line for the season. Started nine games, played in ten, nine touchdowns, seventeen picks. Yeah, that. And you won a Super Bowl. You won a Super Bowl. Because he was a good, he understood what it was to build an offense around something that wasn't like, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make wine out of water here, but that thing is still gonna run itself because it's got talent. The defense has talent. It doesn't need my help. That's what we have a coordinator for. This needs all of my help because this is gonna be the thing that wins or loses us games, and he made it work. Like. You look at this. They, Chris, for as bad as Peyton Manning was that year, they scored 24 or more points in nine of their 20 games. That's half of their games. They scored 24 or more points with a quarterback who was having that type of season. I draw a correlation here because I see a head coach in Sean McDermott who wins plenty of games. He just loses the meaningful ones. And this year's no different from that. It's just happening a lot faster than it usually does. 
the demoralization that I see on their faces, the the the, the milk toast responses, and the way that they've just kind of been flat. It happened before the playoffs this year. John Fox was fired because he and his staff couldn't harness the thing that made that team special. It was your quarterback. It was your offense. It was the things that you could do that no one else had. Instead, you marginalized them for the sake of defense because a lot of times and a lot of drives, they would run the ball. And that was one of the famous things that gets talked about John Fox when he got fired was this idea that he kept telling the offensive coordinators, Listen, we could score 50 this game. I need you to call a type of game that's going to keep my defense fresh so that I think we can close it out. Chris, doesn't that sound an awful lot like complimentary football to you? It does. This idea that we have to play a more balanced game. Why? There's no evidence that that's ever benefited us. Oh, I know, because... You as a defensive coordinator are feeling the pressure of not having star talent anymore. And so now you have to do your job. You have to earn your paycheck as the guy who not only has to run the team, but also has to make up for all the talent deficit between what you thought you were going to have schematically and what you actually have. And so you're now putting the burden of your inability onto the offense saying, guys, we have to play a balanced style so I can keep these guys fresh because that's going to be the reason. Is it? Because on fourth down, you gave up a 20-yard pass this week. On a, must-have, on a must-have conversion, your defensive ends couldn't hold the line of scrimmage. All that rest, what, the, what, what did it do for you? I'm sick about this. I'm sick about it. Right? You have a star quarterback, you have talent at the skill positions, and you have a head coach who's asking for complimentary football because his defensive nature has him acting in the best interest of that unit. Calling for drives that run more clock. Chris, when you say to yourself, you know what I want? Chris, would you rather score a touchdown in five plays or ten? Five. Because if you make it take ten plays, there's an opportunity for the refs to screw you. There's an opportunity for just failures in execution to screw you. There's an opportunity for the defense to step up and make a play. They've steered into this because they don't want the fast-paced offense anymore. They don't want This has the fingerprints of Sean McDermott all over it. John Fox was fired because they couldn't harness this. And yet at the same time, unless you're the 2000 Ravens or the 2007 Giants, your defense is not good enough to win you a ring with a lot of help. And when you look at those Giants who had that killer defensive line and a great defense and they held the unstoppable Patriots to what, like 13 points in the Super Bowl? They got there by scoring 40 points a week. They, they got into like a 30-something point nail-biter that took a last-second field goal. I believe the kicker's name was Tynes who had to bang it home in Green Bay in order to send them to the Super Bowl. Like, you had to have offense to get to the moment where your defense might be able to win you something. And yet, Sean McDermott has no grasp of this. I'd be willing to bet deep down, Sean truly believes that this is correct. It's not even a thing he's doing out of like self-preservation. I think all along, he's believed that this is how football gets won. It's, you keep my defense fresh, we'll close out the game. You guys just have to find a way to 
score some points, get a lead, and we'll win it. And Chris, it's been working right up until it hasn't, right? Yeah. Every single time, that formula works right up until it doesn't. We almost lost to the Miami Dolphins last year at a third-string quarterback under that formula. It's incredibly frustrating. It's like he and his staff, who he not only empowers, but then who kind of take on his likeness in terms of their leadership and they're just the, the, the mannerisms and the way they carry themselves and the way they conduct their jobs. They somehow don't realize that in 2023, balanced football is not how you win a football game, especially not when your defense is plagued with injuries. You win by scoring points. And yet our team, like our team doesn't understand that if you make a team one dimensional by scoring more than them, they have to take the run out of their game plan. We're about to go play a game against the Den- the Denver Broncos, who have been running the ball down people's throats every week. Win or lose, they run the ball well. Do you know how you get them to stop that? Because their passing game has not been good. You get them to stop doing that by getting a lead and forcing them to throw the football. And yet, this team has no no understanding of that. It's wild. This, like, I don't know, man. Our start to the season feels like a movie. I don't know if anybody out there, I'm sure you do if you're listening to this podcast. Have you ever had this experience, Chris, where you start watching a movie, but you're half in the bag? Coneheads. And then later, when you're sober, people ask you about the plot points, and you can't really recall them. You're like, I have a fuzzy understanding of how we got here. I just don't totally remember it. Makes sense. That's how I feel about this football season. I just, I remember it going well. And then somehow there was a a plot twist and I missed it. And now I'm watching a totally different football team wearing my team's jerseys being with these people on podiums being paraded around out here in front of us who sound like idiots. And that's a lot coming from someone like me. Right? Yeah. Of all the parties involved in this mess at the highest level, Alan Dorsey McDermott. Alan's the only one that ultimately this franchise can't afford to see hit the bricks, right? Yeah. I think this, I like, like Justin Yulberg texted me the one night after our loss to the Patriots and was just like, this isn't a serious franchise. There's a lot of people who feel that way today, and that that's getting louder. Each and every week, each and every failure, that call gets a little bit louder. This is not a, this is no longer a serious franchise. They don't care about winning. They care about ego, they care about, wow, I have great ideas. That's what they care about. They don't they're not leaders. Maybe there is no leadership in that building. I don't know. These are all the questions that people keep asking because of things like this. The stuff we're hearing out of the mouths of the people who are supposed to be in charge of this nonsense. I don't know. At a certain point, like I asked Nate on the radio, and he admitted was a damn good question. Chris, we gained like 30 Twitter followers because he retweeted that. He goes, it's the first time, I think if I can recall his tweet just off the top of my head. He said, I just had Rockpile Report call in 
with a call, the first call that made me speechless in a long time because it was a damn good question. And the question was, at what point do we John Fox Sean McDermott? At what point do we recognize that maybe he is this guy who can't pivot? He has nothing else. And he's going to be the thing, right? Like Denver ownership was smart enough to see that he was going to waste their best opportunity to win a Super Bowl at any point in time soon. And rather than watch him squander more of that, even though he'd won plenty of regular season games, they 86 that guy and brought in somebody else who they thought could get the job done, and it paid dividends. They got to stick another Lombardi in, another Lombardi in their trophy case. We don't even have one. And yet what? We're hand-wringing over moving away from a coach who... It's like, look at I've been in the darkness. I have survived. I've survived a drought that took a, like more than a third, more than half of my lifetime. Would you be willing to gamble it? Gamble it all. Fire Sean McDermott, fire Ken Dorsey, bring in a new staff in a final year where you're like, hey, we have one last shot at this while we still have the band together. Let's say you find a way to keep a a center around. Let's say you can franchise tag Gabe Davis and you just keep him around for whatever it is for one more year. You put the group back together and you take another run at it. Would you be willing to do that and mortgage the future with Sean McDermott? Yeah. One. Two. If they had another coach and you threw it in there, but you said, listen, we're going to fire Sean McDermott. We're going to replace him with insert name here. You know, Doug brought up Jim Harbaugh. Who's itching to come back to the NFL, who has a Super Bowl appearance and multiple playoff victories and wins to his credit. Offensive mind. Former quarterback. When Doug said it, I was like, wow, that's a that's an outside the box one. I'd have to chew on that. There are people out here who are qualified, who would love the opportunity to come coach a superstar quarterback who has wide receivers and weapons and things already installed that he could just turnkey. Just, hey, I'm going to make you guys stars. Would you be comfortable with the idea that you would sacrifice the comfort of regular season victories for the idea that you might cash one in and finally get to see that Lombardi? Regardless of what came after, would you be okay with chasing that? Yeah. I would. I don't know about Harbaugh. Doesn't matter who. There are plenty of qualified people who would come out of the woodwork to ben, coach with a guy like Sean McDermott. Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson. Do we know he's qualified? But even yeah. beyond that, you know, I think about Ryan Lacell. You know? Nah, I wouldn't want him. <laughs> no, neither would I. Not running this football team. But he sent a, a, a message in our group chat the other day, and I've, I've been thinking about it ever since. He goes, I was drinking coffee this morning in the silence that is my house when Laura takes the kids to school, and I got to thinking, this is the closest I've ever been in 30 years of conscious fandom to just giving up on the team. I never felt that way about the drought teams. This iteration of the team has just about broken me as a fan. I think I'm about ready to just remove this tumor from my life. Bamani Jones talks about it when he mentions his Falcons fandom, that he relinquished said, you don't realize how hooked on that drug you were 
until you quit it. This is the problem. This team has pushed people who love this thing to the brink. I'm here. I'm still taking the punches in the fucking skull every day, and I still sit here behind a microphone to talk about it because this is where I come to vent. The idea is we've established that we have a head coach who has shrunk in the under the brightest lights when his decision-making is necessary or the lackeys that he puts under his stead who take on his, who follow his lead because the, he's given them the floor. Brian Dable was the only one who pushed back against him, and look where he is now. He's a head coach. It's not going well, but he's a head coach. Where's Ken Dorsey going after this? Wherever McDermott goes. <laughs> the unemployment line. I mean, that's that's crappy. I shouldn't say that. But literally every year that you let this go on for, you're continuing to risk what we've been, what the John Fox Broncos were. And we'll never know what could have been if this franchise had just decided it was serious about winning a title and eschewed the safety and comfort that we've all fallen in love with since Sean McDermott got here, since he broke the drought back in 2017 and made us all feel special and shoot for something just a little bit better. I'd like to think that we all think we deserve that, don't we? Yeah. I, I don't know. That's that's what I got for tonight. I just I want you to think about that. Think about the visceral reaction you have to the idea that someone might say, "Hey, let's fire Sean McDermott," and you go, "Well, he wins the regular season." Sort of, sort of Norv Turner. How'd that work out for him? Sort of John Fox. Sort of a million other coaches who never led their team to the one thing that we've all collectively decided we want to see before the day that we die. At a certain point, he's going to show us whether he has it or not. I fear he already has. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And that he and his coaching staff have at least one more trick up their sleeve. We're going to find out this week, man, but for tonight, I'm just I'm just exhausted. <laughs> this conversation has... Ru- it's weird how venting... The venom that's like boiling around inside your skull about football just leaves you just like emotionally drained. It's like a breakup conversation every week that this happens. Ah, God, I don't want to see that face in Josh Allen ever again. Guys, here's to that. And uh, here's to me not drinking any more of this. Hopefully. Tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been your Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.